This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Tomorrow we, uh, we mark the third Sunday in the season of Advent. This is Gaudante Sunday. It's the Sunday of joy. We're going to light the, the rose-colored candle. Depending on where you are, your priest may come out in rose vestments instead of, instead of the, the normal purple of the season of Advent. Um, and Advent is the time in the church year where more clearly, probably than any other time, we, in our readings, hear this, this place of tension that we find ourselves as Christians in the world today. Between the already and the not yet. The already that we have received the, the, the incarnation. We are recipients of redemption. And yet creation still longs, as Paul says, for the redemption of the world. We live in this juxtaposition of already having received redemption and yet still awaiting the culmination and completion of that in the new heaven and the new earth. So we see that really clearly during this time. And we've talked about that here before during the season of Advent, talking about during this season of Advent, looking at all of the things in the world where we see injustice and saying all is not right with the world, but the incarnation is the answer to that. As I was thinking about this this week, specifically as we came to the Feast of St. Ambrose on the 7th, and we heard this reading, which we're going to get to again here later, of the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And thinking about that in light of the already and the not yet. Oftentimes we think about that in terms of John the Baptist, because we hear that in in the Gospels, as Jesus says of John, he is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. But if that was necessary at the first incarnation, at the coming of Christ into the world of Emmanuel, God with us, then is that also incumbent upon us in this day and age as we await the completion, the, the, the fullness of redemption that we'll see at the end of time, the not yet portion of this? And so as I got to thinking about this already and not yet, as it relates to in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, I began thinking about what does this look like in our wildernesses, the ones that we experience. Um, the wilderness, of course, is referring to a number of different things that, that we'll explore today, um, but it is metaphorical in a, in, a, in a large way, and it's something that we should explore. What, what are the wildernesses that are there that we need to prepare the way of the Lord, whether that be internally in our own spirits, whether that be in pre-evangelization, whether that be in our interpersonal relationships. And so there's no person I'd rather talk about this with than Deacon Charles Beard. And he joins us today from the Diocese of Tulsa. Deacon, thanks for being with us again. It's great to be back, P.L. Thank you. So let's let's look at the wildernesses that we encounter. There's a couple of different, different pathways I want to take in this conversation. I mentioned them a little bit at the beginning. Um, I want to look at moving from the external to the internal, right? So let's start on the furthest circle out, the wilderness that we encounter in terms of making straight the way of the Lord. Uh, I think of the people who are not yet in a relationship with Jesus. They've not yet come to an encounter with the person of Christ, uh, but they're in our midst, right? They're 
we see them in the grocery store. We see them on the side of the road. We see them uh, all over in in a wilderness of sorts. Sometimes maybe they actually feel the wilderness, and sometimes it's just from this uh, lack of being in that relationship. So what can we do? What are some steps as Catholics that we can take specifically here in this Advent season to identify those wildernesses um, that people are encountering and to prepare the way of the Lord? And when I say that, I think of what are the things that we can do that take away obstacles from people to that encounter with Christ, the pre-evangelization, as it were? So, uh, as, as you say, the, the wilderness can take lots of different forms. Um, and so, all of them are ways to prepare for the coming of Christ. One thing that I've noticed in the readings for the Advent season, I don't know off the top of my head if this is the case every year, but at least in year C, uh, the year of Luke, um, the name Jesus does not appear in any of the Sunday Gospels. And that's really, really unusual uh, for, you know, almost every Gospel starts with something like, at that time Jesus said, or at that time Jesus was with, or, or whatever. Um, and I, I, am, I am struck by, by the, the lack of, of Jesus in these readings. Um, and yet that very lack is preparation for his coming. So today's gospel, that is to say, uh, the the gospel for the third Sunday of Advent, um, there are there are people who approach John the Baptist who are waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They might be waiting with different levels of urgency. Some think that John the Baptist is like right here. Some think that, you know is the Christ, um, and and others are just maybe waiting in a general sense. But they all approach John the Baptist and say, "What do we do?" And uh, John the Baptist says, uh, the one with two coats needs to give to the one who has none. Mm -hmm. And he says to the tax collectors, uh, don't take more than you're supposed to. He's not asking them to give up anything radical. Uh, Their lifestyles, even after they do the thing that he asks, is still going to contrast greatly with John the Baptist's own lifestyle. John the Baptist is, you know, a homeless crazy man uh, living on wild honey, what have you. Um, but he said, what he's saying to these people is take one step, um, not because that one step is what, is what saves you, but that step enables you to pay attention for when Christ comes in whatever way he's going to come in your own life. I think that's a, that, that's a good first step. Well, so um, you're hitting two birds with one stone here because you're, this, this specific gospel is answering two questions. Uh, what can I do to help prepare the way of the Lord for the, the person with lack, right? The, the one who has two cloaks ought to give one of those cloaks to one who has none. So you're pro- providing um, for another person and taking away an obstacle that they have. But it's also, as you mentioned here, a preparation for... Uh, for God to come into my life. It's, a, it's taking away an obstacle that I would otherwise have to recognize the coming of God and preparing the way internally as well as externally. Yeah. Uh, by, pre- by not preparing, by providing 
for others' external needs. Um, that often prepares us internally as well. Um, that is not the goal. We're not doing good things in order to feel good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but Christ is coming to meet us. And the question we have to answer is, are we, are we looking for him? Um, we don't want to miss him when he comes. And so, so by doing these things, we, we take the first step towards um, paying attention. Jesus says at the, at the end of the gospel of last year, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. The, the, the urgency of paying attention is very strong in the readings for the year that we just finished. Um, and then now Jesus is gone in these Sunday gospels. And the call is for us to, to act out the previous cycle, which is to pay attention. And to some extent, um, as we as we divest ourselves of the extra, uh, not so much to feel good because it doesn't feel good to give up these things, but we we reorient ourselves to uh, to our proper dependency, right? Our dependency on on encounter with God and not on all of the stuff that we in the West tend to accumulate. And so, Advent is traditionally a penitential season, uh, lesser so then then lent is but it's still this season of uh off uh, encouragement to fast encouragement to uh to focus on the things that really matter and and in some ways to divest ourselves of excess so that we can then fully participate in the feast of christmas but i think that sometimes we miss that that call to penance in this season that call to to prepare ourselves in more ways than just setting out the decorations. Yeah, uh, I, I'm really not the person to talk about penance. Uh, this has been driven home to me uh, this past semester. I, I teach I teach at a Catholic school, and uh, and I had my students read the the Didache early in the semester, maybe September. Mm-hmm. Um, and they one of the the items in the Didache is, is Christians are required to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays uh, each week. Uh, Friday because it's the day Jesus died, and Wednesday, I think, because it's the day Judas betrayed him. And that really struck me. Like, I really harped on that with my students. And I, and I, and I thought to myself, you know, I really should be fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. And every week, every Wednesday and every Friday, I say, I'm going to fast today, and then I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, perhaps a way to prepare spiritually is to actually take that seriously. And this next week, uh, this coming week is, is an especially appropriate day to, to take that on because uh, Wednesday and Friday of this week are the traditional ember days. There are four times a year when um, in the old days, there were additional penances um, that were done in order to, uh, I, I believe that they were to pray for a good harvest. Um, but the Wednesdays and Fridays, four times a year, uh, were extra fast days. Um, and that's this coming Wednesday and Friday. So, so maybe in addition to these works of charity that we should be doing to prepare the way of the Lord, we can um, come to realize our own dependence on the Lord by, by, taking, away, by taking on some penance this Wednesday and Friday. You know, that's something that I think we, we don't— pay enough attention to, uh, because 
a lot of people, they were raised in such a way that they maybe had to do these fasts and it was kind of an obligation and they didn't necessarily see the purposes for it. But this is a way, these kinds of penances are a way that we prepare for Christ's coming uh, in in the not yet aspect of it, right? So even bringing this to us a, a closer timeline, right? We've already experienced redemption and yet we still make mistakes. We still go to confession. We're still waiting for our own fullness of redemption, much less that of the whole cosmos. Uh, there is a place for us to say, how am I going to prepare the way for me to be, uh, to encounter God and to be more holy? How am I going to prepare the way for Christ to come more fully in my life now? Uh, and one of the ways that we do that is through uh, through self-denial. I mean, he says, if anyone would come after me, Christ says, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. And so th- this kind of penance is a preparation uh, just for ourselves internally, much less those actions that also then help prepare the way for someone else. Yeah. Uh, so, so much about the, about the Christmas season. And, and by that, I mean the, the kind of secular Christmas season that happens in, in December. There's it's so busy. We're adding more stuff. I don't mean, I don't mean materialism. That's, that's become kind of a canard, although that's still true in many ways. Um, but I mean like the Christmas parties and the ugly sweater days and the getting your kids ready for the school play, but we don't do the school play this year because of COVID. So he has to wear the certain shirt so they can do a videotape of the school play and the, bah, 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 bah. the, the world wants to add more and more and more, not just so we can consume, but just to kind of make ourselves feel, feel accomplished by how busy we are. And normally that, that stresses us out. Uh, divestment can also encourage us to rest. And rest is a divine command. We must rest in the Lord. Um, and if we don't, we're not going to be at peace with him or with ourselves. And this is where I say um, you've gone from preaching to meddling. Uh, because we, we are so very busy in this season uh, that we, we don't take the time to slow down. Uh, whether that be focusing more on on the readings or whether that be finding some space in your life to calm down and slow down so that you can even hear if the the holy spirit is is prompting you to do something external so with that in mind um what would be some steps that you would see that would help maybe just some practical steps of taking the time to enter into a penitential season, whether that be through rest, whether that be through, uh, through fasting or through something else tangible, uh, some tips and tricks to getting to this place of preparing for Christ coming at Christmas. First step is to read the daily gospel. Um, I, I, I imagine a lot of your listeners are, are already doing that. Uh, but if, but maybe some aren't and they should start. Uh, and if among those who are, if their daily gospel reading is anything like mine, it's kind of, you know, kind of halfway mumbled when you're on your way to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but just really take an extra 90 seconds to get through that. If you read it, you know, read it twice. Um, force yourself to slow down just enough that you begin listening. Um, and it, it doesn't take that long. I mean, ideally, ideally we would just be less busy, 
Um, but that's probably not feasible. Um, you know, the, a step down from that would be uh, a two-day retreat somewhere um, where you have no responsibilities. But again, for many of us, that's not feasible. Um, you can't do those things. Uh, just take that extra 90 seconds um, in whatever prayer routine you already have, whether that's, you know, if you say if you say a rosary in the car on the way to work, instead of instead of rushing through it, just just take a take a breath, an extra breath between the hail marys. Um, I remember that, and that that'll be the beginning. I remember there was a time where you and I were on retreat together at uh, Subiaco Abbey in Arkansas, and we had uh, about once a month we were praying vespers together, and the group that we were doing doing that prayer with took it quite a bit slower than we would read it on our own if we were, you know, just pulling out the, the bravery and praying it. And I, I got to a place where I'm, you know, that taking that extra breath and that extra time, I could feel that stress kind of relieve a little bit. And after Vespers and after the, the, uh, the hour, the holy hour, that time in adoration, I, I really felt as though uh, God had, relaxed some of that tension and brought me into a place where I could better connect with him. And I remember going on this, this silent retreat to Subiaco feeling pretty good about maybe even, maybe even a tiny bit prideful at how well as a group uh, we, we prayed the liturgy of the hours together and we sat down uh, for Vespers that first night and they took like 15 or 20 breaths between every phrase. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was really frustrating. It felt so slow and it was frustrating, but it was also this sense that frustrating because why are you taking so long? And it's like, Oh, they're taking so long because they're meditating on it and praying it. And we're just rushing through it. So there was also internal frustration that here I thought I was doing good. And apparently I'm still frustrated by the prayer uh, there, but we, we encounter that as you know, I, we're doing really well as a family. We're doing our readings. We're um, lighting the Advent candle together. And then, oh, wait, we're still just absolutely rushing from one thing to the next and not taking the time to just sit with it. And we have the yeah, opportunity right. to sit with it here in the season. Yeah, the, the, the seasons of Advent and Lent are, are to a large extent the church saying, slow down, um, which at least in this season we promptly ignore. Um, yeah, so f funny story, uh, probably six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a very famous fast prayer in my family and I rushed through the, the grace before meals and, and all of that. So, so I added a little chant at the beginning of the grace before meals. And I, and I said, if, if you know, I have to do the chant in this particular way and that's slower. Mm -hmm. And so if I do that, then maybe I'll do the grace before meals slower. And so we incorporated that into our grace before meals. And it's, and it's been really nice. Um, but my wife says to me last week, uh, you don't say grace any slower than you did before. Yeah. We, uh, we actually, we chant the whole grace because that How do you? one, because the singing gets everybody involved and two, because yeah, right. it slows it down and it's, uh, it reminds you, I think even more what it is that you're saying. I'm, I just, I just love chant anyway. Uh, and so that's just an opportunity to, 
Oh, there's that whole Augustine thing, or at least that which is um, attributed to Augustine, that he who sings prays twice, right? Right. That's very true. And when I pray, I'm usually not praying. So if I sing, I am at least praying once. <laughs> so th- that's that's one thing, to take some time, a little bit extra time in those prayer practices. Or let's say, hey, just pick up a prayer practice. You know, do do an extra thing that you don't normally do. Uh, for us at, at bedtime, we typically have a prayer. We typically do a little blessing. But during Advent, we turn off all the lights in the whole house, uh, except for the little Jesse tree that has its lights and the Advent wreath. And we sit around in this dark room and we read the the whole readings of the day. So that's the the first reading, the psalm that we make up the psalm tone on the spot and the gospel, unless there's a solemnity, which we have from time to time, where we do the extra reading, the second reading there. And then we uh, sing an Advent carol. Uh, start The first week we do um, O Come Divine Messiah. The second week we do um, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We'll find something for the third week, and the fourth week, of course, you do O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And then we, once the song is over, they blow out the candles and they have to tiptoe silently to their rooms, which they, you know, they're small. They don't often do it perfectly silently, but they attempt. And there's just that we're trying to say, we're going to slow down and we're going to be different right now. Something different is going to occur. Uh, and you're going to notice that it's different because I think that there's something important about us marking our season with difference as we approach Christmas. Yeah, I, I think that you're, you hit on something uh, I think that's especially appropriate to Advent is, is, is darkness. Uh, there is a sense, because the days are getting shorter, that we fast, we should fast with our eyes and, so, um, and with our ears. So by being silent and by turning off the extra lights that, that creates, um, that puts us in the headspace where we can begin to fast and prepare ourselves in other ways. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you have done? You know, we talked a little bit about what you've done individually. What are some of the things that you have done with a group, whether that be a group at your parish, your group of students or with your family? So, uh, one thing that I'm really proud of that we've done at our school, uh, working with the local Catholic charities. Um, so the, the Tulsa diocese Catholic charities was put in charge of resettling some number of, I don't remember the exact number of refugees from Afghanistan who came over after, after the United States pulled out of the country. Um, there were something like, oh, I'm going to get the number wrong, but call it 800 people whom Catholic Charities in Tulsa has have resettled. This is, this is their first American Christmas. And of course, most or perhaps all of them are not Christian, and so they, may, they likely have no sense of Christmas except as, as you know, secular American holiday. Um, but, uh, but even so, um, our school, in conjunction with Catholic Charities, has has done the, the angel gift tree uh, specifically for these Afghan refugees. And so our students and our families have picked out, picked out angels from the tree and are, and are buying Christmas presents 
for for these refugees for their first American Christmas, and I, I think it's gone uh, it's gone very well. Um, another thing that this is not something that that I've implemented, but that a friend of mine and I have kind of kicked around is preparing Christmas cards for homeless folks. Hmm. Um, I my family is really bad about sending out Christmas cards, but I love getting Christmas cards. Um, and there, there is so little human touch, human contact, human friendliness, um, between, between the, the unhoused and, and the housed that, uh, I think giving out Christmas cards with perhaps a gift card to a grocery store or, or to a, or to a fast food restaurant or something inside it, you know, that's signed with your names and your kids' names, um, that that's that's a personal touch that I think is is you know quite seasonal. Well, and again, this comes to uh, the the concept that we belong to one another. We're members of one another. We have some shared responsibility for those who who live among us, and and this is a way that we can prepare the way of the Lord. We can basically um, create an encounter that that is a positive encounter that makes a person maybe more able to receive that good news of the coming in the presence of Christ in their lives. That it doesn't, uh, we don't have to say, Oh, I'm doing this because we just create that, that connection and allow the Holy spirit to do what he's going to do. Yeah. I mean, we're not creating the encounter. We're just trying not to be an obstacle to the encounter. Yeah. Um, the, these, these points of communion uh, are are not are not intended for some ulterior motive. Right. To you know, I'm I'm not going to give you the Christmas card uh, and I don't know invite you to church. Although I may invite you to church, but it's, I'm not going to give you the Christmas card so that I can invite you to church. And I think that's um, important it, because because you can see the difference, right? There, if you are authentically giving because the love of Christ compels you, it's a different experience altogether from I'm giving this to you to try and get something out of you. Yeah. Uh, B. Griffith says something in his book, Christ in India, which is about, among other things, evangelization, uh, that, that's always stuck with me. He, he, he was witnessing to Christ in a, in a terribly non-Christian land, you know, in India. Um, and, and he said that he his mentality shifted from trying to bring Jesus to India to trying to trying to locate where Jesus already is mm-hmm. um, in the other in the other people that that he saw, and he could only be a witness to Christ if he was himself looking for Christ in those he served. Um, maybe working on that is something we can do this Advent. We're talking today with Deacon Charles Beard of the Diocese of Tulsa, uh, talking about preparing the way of the Lord this Advent season. What preparations are you making in your home? I'd love to hear about them. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Come and let us know what practices you find meaningful. And don't go anywhere because there is much more to this conversation about our Advent preparations right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Deacon Charles Beard out of the Diocese of Tulsa, and we are in the midst of preparation for Advent. Uh, earlier this week, uh, the I think it was Tuesday, on the, the Feast of St. Ambrose, we heard this reading from Isaiah, uh, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, this, this has always been intriguing to me because we are the recipients of this, right? All flesh shall see it together, but there's also this call um, to this imperative sentence in, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, go, go do this thing. And yet we recognize that, that we are not the ones who can do it. And yet we're also kind of called to participate in that work. Now, of course you get to the the new Testament and we see that Jesus says this about John, that John is the voice who calls in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Um, And yet we have experienced Christ's coming, but we still are awaiting Christ's coming in that in that final day. Uh, even more than that, uh, Saint um, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, in the first week of of Advent, in the breviary, he talks about there are three comings of Christ. That Christ comes to us first as a baby, he comes to us at the end in the second coming, but he comes to us individually and particularly in our own lives over and over again as he makes himself known to us in the Eucharist, but also in the experiences of our life. And so here we have this call both to help prepare the way of the Lord, but then also to be the recipients of it. All flesh shall see this together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so we've talked some in the first segment of the show about ways that we can can do this, can help uh, to prepare ourselves, to prepare the wildernesses that are internal. Some about how we can help prepare a way in the wilderness that's around us socially. I want to take now a look at the last half of that. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. So Deacon Charles, we're, we're talking about this preparation. That preparation is for the second part of it. It's not for our own acclaim. It's not for our own rest. It's for this revelation of the glory of the Lord that shall be revealed to to all of us here. Um, I think oftentimes when we think of Christmas, we think of that that baby in a manger and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. Uh, but this is all really a giant setup for the full... Uh, the full story of salvation history. We're being brought into this this story and made participants in this story to be recipients of the fullness of the glory of God. Yeah, if you think about it, Christmas doesn't make sense as a religious holiday, um, or at least in a Christian context. Uh, almost all of the saints... Uh, their feast days are on the day of their death. And so uh, if if the center of our faith is Christ's death and resurrection, that feast makes sense. Uh, and 
in our our liturgical calendar is set up to kind of revolve around that. Um, but we have this this very high feast um, stuck in the middle of that revolving calendar that we can't move uh, and that and that doesn't line up with the rest of, with everything else. Uh, so it, so it doesn't it, it doesn't make sense except as a way to get, to get us to pay attention to the second coming um, to remember that that is going to occur that that this kind of drudgery of the veil of tears is not going to last forever um, either in general in the cosmos in the second coming um, or in our own lives uh, because eventually we're all going to die and so so Christ is going to meet us whether whether we want him to or not mm-hmm. and so the, the call of Advent and of Christmas is is to get us ready for that um, and that's a scary thought uh, we don't want to think about the end of the world or about our own death. And so in, in Christmas, Christ comes to us as a baby, as the Prince of Peace. Uh, so, so he comes as, yes, he's going to be the judge of the universe and all of that, but he is also the, the little baby who is going to judge us with great mercy and who, who entrusts himself to us. And he can't judge us harshly if he trusts us enough to, to become one of us. Well, there's, a, and I don't recall precisely which reading it is, but there's this this picture of uh, the the incarnation is not so much um, the story of the baby as much as it is the story of you know, Christ is sneaking into our reality as humanity, taking on human nature for the sole purpose of redeeming that human nature and allowing it to now be joined with the divine nature so that we can, as I think it's uh, Peter says, that we can become sharers in that divine nature. Yeah, uh, C.S. Lewis has a line, and I'm going to butcher it, because he's coming out of World War II, he's, he, in, the, in the in the first coming in the incarnation, Christ has set up a a an encampment of spies behind enemy lines, mm-hmm. um, and at the end, he's going to come and he's going to be the conquering hero. Um, so the question we ask ourselves is: Are we going to find and join that encampment of spies in the meantime? So here we are preparing for Christmas. Uh, we've got the, maybe the, the house is all decorated. We've got the lights up. We've got the, um, everything is set, right? We're going to have our feast that comes on Christmas. We're going to do maybe midnight mass. Uh, we're going to celebrate with, with Christmas carols and eggnog and everything else. Uh, what can we, maybe there's a practice that you have in mind that we can do at Christmas to put our eyes on on the full story of Easter and in a way similar to how a lot of those paintings of the nativity have a cross sitting in the background, kind of as a foreshadowing. Uh, there's this, I think famous Dutch painting where here you've got the baby in the manger and then up on the, up on the wall is a spoiler alert because they've got like a crucifix there on the, on the, uh, the wall of the nativity cave. And so how do we celebrate Christmas with an eye towards that final victory 
of all the, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together? Oh, that's an excellent question. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is where you fake it till you make it, right? You just make something up and everyone's like, wow, that's really, that's a good idea. As a result, that's really good. Oh, very profound. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, you can start by going to mass. We're fortunate to be able to do that again this year. Yeah. Um, you can maybe go to the midnight mass at 10 PM. Uh, if you're, if you're at my parish, um, I, I wonder if there's something this year that, that that can help us remember the final victory Easter uh, a little bit better. So Christmas is December 25th, and then the Sunday after Christmas is the Feast of the Holy Family, which this year is the next day. So Christmas is on a Saturday this year. Um, and and we, we don't really associate uh, the Holy Family with... Um, with the victory over, over sin and death. And yet it's in the Holy family that Christ learned, uh, what it means to, to sacrifice and to, to love. Um, and so if that's where Christ learned it, that's where we could learn it. So as we prepare ourselves for the final culmination of his victory in Lent and Easter, uh, keeping, keeping the mind, the example rather of Jesus, Mary and Joseph in mind, we can, we can ask ourselves what we can do within our own families to make it a little bit more like their family. Well, and I think one of the very first things we can do looking to Mary is to realize that, um, the, her answer, that fiat, that let it be done to me according to thy word, uh, that, that should be kind of our first answer but sometimes even before we think it through, uh, do we feel like God is nudging us to do something, uh, maybe to volunteer or to uh, to give in a, in a charitable way? Before we rationalize everything away and make sure it works, would our first response to the voice of God be that Marian reply, let it be done to me according to thy word? This, of course, is the example that Jesus had in the garden when he said, uh, if it's if it be your will, let this cut pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Um, this, as you said, is something that that I think was handed on to him by his mother. Yeah, uh, Saint Augustine has when he's meditating on the on the Lord's Prayer, he talks about Thy will be done, and he goes, "That petition doesn't make any sense because, of course, God's will is going to be done, especially in Augustine's theology, where right. God gets what He wants, no matter what." Um, so for Augustine, so what does that petition mean? And Augustine says, we want God's will to be done in us. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking that extra breath between Hail Marys or the extra 90 seconds to, to reread the readings or whatever that prayer practice is that you're doing with that, um, the, that is that time in silence is not done for its own sake. It's done so that we listen, so that we can pay attention to that nudge mm-hmm. um, and then carry it out uh, before we negotiate it away. I think in some ways for us to stop that and say that prayer, um, not my will, but yours be done, just opens up our eyes to the fact that, oh, I should be wanting God's will to be done uh, and and gives us an extra five seconds to not just do the first thing on our mind, right? It just gives us an awareness that we should be looking for God's will so as to do it. 
Right. And, it, and, and I want to just, I want to add a word of caution, um, especially in high anxiety times, yeah. like, like Christmas. Uh, it's really easy when you say not my will, but yours be done to, to kind of second guess every little thing on the top of our heads. Like, okay, was that me or was that God? I don't know um, what you're talking about. Right. I've never experienced uh, that. God almost always reveals himself clearly, but uh, like a, like a gentle rain. Mm-hmm. Um, so just uh, for, for, for example, um, recently I was, I was trying to, trying to, to, to pray through something about whether I should continue to uh, see a particular friend. Um, and, uh, and I was, and I was leaning against it actually. And I thought maybe God is leading me in this direction, but then I was walking through the hall at work and that particular friend was there and he had no reason to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and it was so edifying to see him there because I knew God spoke in, in that, but it also wasn't, um, it wasn't an anxiety provoking experience the way, the way we kind of think discernment should be sometimes it was, it was comforting to see him. Um, and that's how I knew that it was the voice of God. Well, I would say that God always, in my experience, God always speaks in peace. We might not like, like the answer. We might feel, uh, that it's something against what we would hope for. But even in those situations, it doesn't come with anxiety when the voice of God speaks. When, when God, as you say, when God speaks, he, he, he doesn't provoke anxiety. Any, any anxiety we experience um, is either from us or from, some, from somewhere else. Um, but he knows that we feel it. And so I think it's, it's, it's comforting to know that, that we know it's his voice when the anxiety goes away, even if only briefly. Yeah. We've been talking today with Deacon Charles Beer out of the Diocese of Tulsa, talking about this season of Advent as we prepare, uh, not just for Christmas, but prepare for Christ's coming, Christ's presence with us, not only in our lives immediately, but also at the end of all time, preparing a way in the desert uh, for our God, preparing the way of the Lord so that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Deacon, thanks for being with us today. Thanks to you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Deacon Charles Beard, or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Now, Deacon Charles has been with us several times in the past, and if you want to find some of his other episodes, you can click the three horizontal lines in the top left-hand side of the page. That will expand out a menu that will show you all the guests that we've ever had. Scroll down until you find Deacon Charles's name. Click on that, and that'll bring up all the episodes he's been a part of. If you still can't get enough and you'd like to hear more, well, there's always an extra segment. Each and every week, we continue the conversation after the uh, the broadcast is over. And we make that available to those who support the show through our Patreon support community. That Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we just produce extra content, have a lot of fun doing it. If you'd like to consider being a part of that community or want to learn more about what it is, there at OutsideTheWalls.com, there's a link at the top right-hand side of the page that says Patreon-support the show. 
look through that. Scroll through. There's some free extra segments that are available for you if you want to get a sense for what that's like. And consider being a part of that support community for the goodies and, and much more. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's one of my favorite sounds. That's the sound of our Verbum library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to biblical commentaries and the fathers and doctors and documents of the church, helping you read Scripture with the mind of the church. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today will come as no surprise. We've been talking about it the whole episode. It comes from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, 1 through 11. This was our reading, the first reading from the Feast of St. Ambrose just a couple of days ago. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up. To a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. We've spent a lot of time today wrapping our minds around what it looks like for us to prepare or even to cry out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. What does that look like for us? And As I'm reading this to you here, I'm becoming more and more convinced that sometimes it's just about the proclamation. I see the division growing online, and even in some discussions that seem to be minor, we seem to jump straight to the disagreement, straight to that place where we point out the differences between us and the person next to us. And it could just be that the, the way that we prepare in the desert a highway for our God is to comfort his people, to speak tenderly to Jerusalem and to cry to her that her warfare is ended, to provide those irenic messages of hope, to say 
to them, cry out, and what shall I cry? You know, all flesh is like grass. Its its beauty is going to fade. This doesn't seem like an uplifting message, except for that last part. But the word of our God will stand forever. It's not necessarily about pointing out someone's flaws. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But for us to start with that comfort, that message that God is coming to save. Oh, go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Oh, that that Christ would say that about us, that we would be the herald of good news to others, that God is for them. And this message surrounds this season. We also see at the Annunciation where Mary comes, visits Elizabeth, and sings the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has lifted up the lowly and filled the hungry with good things. Right, That, That all of the hardship that people face, all of the darkness that people face, is going to be encountered by the light of Christ. And so let's prepare them for that light of Christ, maybe even just to start off with by speaking tenderly to them. Speaking comfort, oh comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. That's kind of my prayer right now, that we would become masters of tenderness. And this doesn't mean that God will never ask us to do difficult things. We talked about this with Deacon Charles a little bit, that there are some things that that are going to be difficult, that when we get called out of sin, out of darkness and into his marvelous light, there's going to be some difficulty attached to that. And yet, whenever he calls us even into difficult things, it's done in a way that speaks through peace and is done with tenderness. So as we approach Christmas, let us rehearse this message of incarnation, this message of of tenderness, of God coming to fulfill his promises, and even that message of the angels, peace on earth, goodwill to men with whom his favor dwells. Our reading from church history comes from a sermon by St. Augustine on this same passage, but looking at it from the New Testament perspective where it's declared that John is that voice. John is the voice, but the Lord is the Word who was in the beginning. John is the voice that lasts for a time. From the beginning, Christ is the Word who lives forever. Take away the Word, the meaning, and what is the voice? Where there is no understanding, there is only a meaningless sound. The voice without the word strikes the ear, but does not build up the heart. However, let us observe what happens when we first seek to build up our hearts. When I think about what I'm going to say, the word or the message is already in my heart. When I want to speak to you, I look for a way to share with your heart what is already in mine. In my search for a way to let this message reach you so that the word already in my heart may find place also in yours, I use my voice to speak to you. The sound of my voice brings the meaning of the word to you and then passes away. The word which the sound has brought to you is now in your heart, and yet it is still also in mine. When the word has been conveyed to you, does not the sound seem to say, The word ought to grow, and I should diminish. The sound of the voice has made itself heard in the service of the word, and has gone away, as though it were saying, My joy is complete. 
Let us hold on to the word. We must not lose the word conceived inwardly in our hearts. Do you need proof that the voice passes away but the divine word remains? Where is John's baptism today? It served its purpose, and it went away. Now it is Christ's baptism that we celebrate. It is in Christ that we all believe. We hope for salvation in him. This is the message the voice cried out. Because it is hard to distinguish word from voice, even John himself was thought to be the Christ. The voice was thought to be the word. But the voice acknowledged what it was, anxious not to give offense to the word. I am not the Christ, he said, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And then the question came, Who are you then? He replied, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness is the voice of one breaking the silence. Prepare the way of the Lord, he says, as though he were saying, I speak out in order to lead him into your hearts. But he does not choose to come where I lead him unless you prepare the way for him. To prepare the way means to pray well. It means thinking humbly of oneself. We should take our lesson from John the Baptist. He is thought to be the Christ. He declares he is not what they think. He does not take advantage of their mistake to further his own glory. If he had said, I am the Christ, you can imagine how readily he would have been believed since they believed he was the Christ even before he spoke. But he did not say it. He acknowledged what he was. He pointed out clearly who he was. He humbled himself. He saw where his salvation lay. He understood that he was a lamp. And his fear was that it might be blown out by the wind of pride. That reading comes from a homily by St. Augustine. There's a lot to unpack here, and we don't have a lot of time to do it. But let us take our example from St. John the Baptist, who, with tenderness and with boldness, proclaimed the Word of God, the Word that the Spirit gave to him, the Word who is announcing the Word, the Word of God, Christ in the flesh, the Incarnation. Let us, in that same way, announce the Word so that the Word may be introduced to others. I think of uh, I think of the two apostles, the two disciples of John who ended up following after Christ when he pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is our job, to tenderly and to boldly proclaim the Word of God and to point others to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Today's show is brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. You can learn more about that Patreon support community by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking that Patreon link. Join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.